The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Episode 17, Grief, Hills, Eternity, May 2002. English was weird the next day. People had been talking about Brad all afternoon, and from that constant murmuring, I had learned two things. First, no one had any compelling ideas about what had happened to him. Second, no one suspected Reed. They suspected the dean, the creepy janitor, and Brad's ex-girlfriend. But nobody mentioned Reed. Why would they suspect him after all? They hadn't been there. For my part, I was becoming less certain about his innocence. I had spent the last day and a half trying to convince Sam that his grandpa hadn't had anything to do with it, but I just couldn't seem to shake the feeling myself. Maybe I was simply too fixated on that one moment at Reed's party. Maybe I needed to step back and look at the thing objectively. I wasn't sure. After my last class of the day, I hurried home to change so I wouldn't be late to my meetup with Sam so that we could check out the arcade. I took a fast shower and bundled all of my thick, wet hair under a beanie so that I could survive the last chill of spring. Then I packed myself a sandwich and headed out the door. I reached Burning Rock Ice Cream around 5 o'clock. It must be nice to name an ice cream shop in a small town where you're the only one. You get to call your company something like Burning Rock Ice Cream. There aren't 18 other shops competing for the name. In Seattle, you had to name your shop something like Iceology. Even that might not be unique enough. When I arrived, Sam was standing behind the counter wearing his mint green ice cream hoodie. He didn't see me at first, and I took the moment to just remind myself that there were plenty of good things about living here. Sam was a good thing, with his stupid hoodies and the fact that he wanted to own a waffle cart. I walked up to the counter. I've been meaning to ask this for a long time, I said. Is that hoodie scratch and sniff? I dropped my sandwich on the counter. Yeah, he said, totally. It smells like that mint patch out behind the dumpster. But that could also just be because I left it out there for three weeks. He raised his sleeve and sniffed it. Herbal, he said. Hanging out with Sam had become something of a calming ritual for me. I didn't even have to talk about my problems. It was enough to just pull up a chair to the counter and talk about something frivolous. It always made me feel like things were going to be okay. And that kind of feeling was in short supply these days. So... I said, I've had a lot of time to think about ice cream flavors, and I feel like I've come up with something pretty terrific. Yeah? He put his elbows on the counter. Yeah, actually two terrific things. First, I want a coffee line. Nice, smooth coffee ice cream for the base. Add caramel for the caramel macchiato. Mocha. Orange latte. Coffee and donuts. Okay, he said. That's not bad. 
although all the coffee around here is bad, so we would have to import. What else you got? What's the other thing? Okay, get this, I said. This is the good one. The pie line. Pie crust and pie filling mixed right into your ice cream base. Apple pie and cinnamon ice cream. Pecan pie and bourbon chocolate. Key lime and sherbet. Sam snapped his fingers and pointed at me like we were in a feel-good Midwestern movie and I had just come up with the idea that was going to save the town's favorite diner. Plus, he said, there are seasonal applications. So true, I said. Many seasonal applications, in fact. He nodded. So, do you maybe want to help me implement them? He asked. I was a little taken aback by the offer, but I did not hate the idea. Making that cake the other night was the closest thing to a fun and harmless activity I'd participated in for a while. He must have taken my surprise as something like hesitation, though, because he added, I've got a discretionary fund, so I can hire you as a consultant. The truth was I would have happily done it without the money, but I wasn't going to turn down money when it was on the table. Let's do it. Great, he said. So let's grab an ice cream for the road and go check out the arcade, right? I laughed. By for the road, do you mean the 15-second walk to the other side of the building? I asked. Yeah, he said. He grabbed a couple bowls off the counter, picked up an ice cream scoop, and went to the ice cream case. What are you having? Spumoni, I said. I really like that we're taking ice cream to a crime scene. Yeah, that's what makes small towns fun, he said. After scooping ice cream and temporarily closing up shop, Sam led the way to the back room. We made our way past the ice cream making equipment, past a small desk and computer, and through a Spartan wood door with a knob that didn't fully latch. That door led to a narrow hallway with exposed lath and plaster and a few gaping holes that left me simultaneously concerned and curious. I bent down and looked through one of them and found that I could see straight through the wall into the dim forest behind the store. I straightened up again, wondering what had caused the hole. The hallway was so narrow that we literally had to sidle down sideways like the crabs that hang out under the rocks at the beach. Brad and I were kind of friends, so he always left the back door unlocked, Sam said as we reached a second door. Sure enough, he turned the knob and opened it up onto the back room of the arcade. Kind of friends? I asked as we made our way past the dusty, decommissioned game cabinets and the cardboard boxes full of worthless prizes. We were work friends, but Brad could be kind of... I don't know. He could be a little bit of a conspiracy nut, I guess. Constantly defending reality gets tiring. We stepped into the arcade, and as we did, I did my best not to think about the shadow figure and the reflection on the Pac-Man cabinet. I'm not usually scared during the day when the sun is out, but today, something about the pale sunlight folding over the arcade was almost worse than if it had been night. I shivered and followed Sam up to the prize counter. The laptop was still sitting there. It didn't look like anything had been touched, and I couldn't help but think that that seemed weird. 
Shouldn't the police have been here looking for clues or something? If not the police, what about Brad's family or friends? It made me sad to think that we were the first ones. So, in movies, they always find the password like written on a sticky note or taped to the bottom of a stapler or something, I said. I started turning over items on the desk. There was a mug full of pens, a Furby, and a couple of cassette tapes. None of them yielded passwords. Sam started poking around the computer itself, probably looking for a way to bypass the password entry entirely. After a moment, he turned to me. Find anything? he asked. No. Me either. It's almost like the password is doing its job. He started typing things into the password bar and eventually got locked out for three minutes. I don't think I can get in, he said. We would either need to find the password or take it to someone a lot more proficient than me. It was disappointing, but at least we tried. That was more than could be said for anyone else around here. We looked around the rest of the arcade, not really sure what we were looking for. Finally, as darkness fell, Sam said, Can you think of anything else we can check out before we go? Not in here, I replied. Those holes in the hallway were still weighing on my mind, though. There was something kind of weird in the hallway that I wanted to check out, I said. We put things back how we had found them, and as we did, I had the fleeting thought that if the police did check this place out, they were going to find our fingerprints on the computer and behind the counter. Who was I kidding? They weren't going to fingerprint this place. There was no way they would be that on top of things. We stepped back into the hallway, and I bent down by one of the holes. Sam knelt down too. The hole was about the size of a baseball. I ran my hand along the inner edge. It was reasonably smooth like it had been cut instead of smashed. My fingers ran against something cold. I grimaced and yanked my hand back. I held it up to the light. What is that? Are you bleeding? Sam said. At first I thought I might be, but I hadn't felt any pain, and when I examined the substance more closely, I realized it wasn't red. It was hard to see much of anything in here, but the stuff was way too dark to be blood. No, it's, it's something else, I said. I wiped it off on the wall and sniffed my hand. The smell was faint, and it reminded me of the savoriness of gasoline combined with something like seaweed or seawater. Maybe it was some kind of car oil. No, that didn't seem quite right. Weird, Sam said. It was probably nothing, but on a whim, I suggested, let's check out back. Sam agreed. There was a door in the hallway that opened onto the back of the building. Sam unlocked it and stepped outside. I followed him. Gravel crunched underfoot as we left the building. I turned on my phone flashlight and aimed it at the ground. There was more of that weird goo stuff. It was smeared on the ground and dribbled in the gravel. I followed the trail another few steps. It turned to the corner with the sidewalk and led back down the alley, toward the woods behind the town. I followed the streaks expecting them to grow fainter, but they didn't. The thought occurred to me that it was more like slug slime, 
something being secreted than car oil. I turned my flashlight upward. The woods rose up tall and thick behind the arcade. They seemed to be straining, reaching in toward the town, trying to gain a foothold in the civilized world. Their roots grew out past their branches, breaking up the cement and chunking up parts of the soil and gravel. I tried to follow the trail into the woods, but it disappeared immediately amongst the pine needles and brush. Sam reached down and touched some of the stuff. For some reason, I didn't want him to. I didn't know what it was, but with everything going on around here, I didn't like it. What if it was toxic or dangerous in some way? He smelled it. Fish, he said. He looked around and then cleaned his fingers on the leaf of a plant jutting up out of the sidewalk. Sam slowly rose to his feet and looked up at the woods, and for a second, he looked like one of those TV detectives, perching above some bit of forensic evidence. Wonder if I should call Crown, Sam asked. Probably, I replied. Crown arrived about ten minutes later, just as the very last of the light was fading into the sea. He stepped out of his car, and as he slammed the door behind him, a shower of water sparkled in the streetlight. He crossed the road quickly and dropped down next to one of the stains. He shone his phone flashlight down at the substance, and then snatched a couple of pictures. "'Is it paint?' he said." Doesn't smell like paint, Sam offered. You guys didn't touch this stuff, did you? Crown asked. Sam and I exchanged a look, but Crown moved on to something new quickly, so thankfully we didn't actually have to answer that question. I wasn't sure I could deal with Crown's condescension right now. He retraced our steps back to the storefront and came back a few seconds later, using his phone to take a video of the goo in context. Should we call the police? I asked. At this point, it felt like a stupid question, but it seemed like someone should ask it. They won't do anything, Crown replied. He squatted down beside one of the streaks and pulled something out of his pocket. Crown began to unscrew the lid from the small canister producing a cotton swab connected to the end of the cap. He used the cotton swab to scrape a sample of the goo off the sidewalk, and then replaced it in the canister. So who are you giving that to if not the police? I asked. I've got a friend in laboratory sciences. She can run it for me faster than the police can. If that was true, I had to admit that I was impressed. I had still been thinking of Crown as your basic small-town, bi-weekly school reporter, but maybe he actually had some connections. Crown looked up at us. Seriously, thank you guys for this tip. This could be something. He followed the trail to the woods and peered in between two trees for a long moment. I wondered what he was thinking. I wondered what he thought of this situation as a whole. I still didn't know what to think. As far as I could tell, we were looking at a little bit of some kind of goo spread over the sidewalk. Why do you think it's so important? I asked. Crown sighed. Because I just found out that the substance at Brad's house, the stuff on the door, it wasn't blood. It was more like this. 
I could have been mad that Crown hadn't told us, but I suppose there wasn't really a reason for him to keep us surprised. Even so, I wanted to know. I wanted to help him find Brad. I was discovering that I enjoyed helping Crown. I liked feeling like I was doing something in life, even if the thing I was doing was a little bit strange. Do you have any idea what it is? Sam asked. No clue. But when my friend gets back to me, you guys will be the first to know. He finished looking at the sample and tucked it into his pocket. Are you guys headed home now? He asked. Yeah, I said. We'll see you later then, Crown replied. Crown retreated to his car, and Sam rounded the corner too. I legged behind by a few steps, turning to look at the woods one more time. As I looked, something caught my attention and I paused on the sidewalk. The plant in the sidewalk crack, the one Sam had smeared with the oily goo, it looked different. I frowned and approached the plant. It looked bigger. I could have sworn that it had an extra branch now, and most notably, it had produced a tiny blue heart-shaped flower. I examined it and found a spot of the brown goo on the leaf, confirming that it was indeed the same plant. I thought about calling Sam over, but he was already back at the car. I decided that this wasn't any stranger than any of the other things we had encountered, and anyway, maybe I had simply remembered the plant inaccurately. Maybe I had just missed that tiny blue flower the first time. It was pretty small. Looking over my shoulder once, I made my way to the car and I kept the plant to myself. It was probably nothing. I told myself this because I didn't want to admit the truth. That I was starting to experience some of the stuff that June had experienced before my family sent her away. October 2007 I know what it means to love someone, and I know what it means to miss someone. But what about the confusing cases? The weird overlaps? What about the times when you don't fully realize that you love someone until they're gone? What about the times when looking for them makes you love them more? And what about the times when missing them actually seems to outweigh the good memories that you had at the start? I've just finished my slice of cake. The cake itself was roughly the size of a small country and most of it is still sitting untouched on the table. They went ahead and put all 27 candles in a little bundle in the center of the cake. It took me two tries to blow them out and now I'm sitting here in a haze of smoke, feeling like the world around me is playing out in slow motion. Lana is cutting another slice of cake. She hands it to me. You look like you could use another piece, she says. Sure. I grab myself another scoop of ice cream from the freezer, too. It's a flavor Sam and I invented. Coffee Vienna. Rich Seattle coffee muddled with cinnamon swirls and bits of candied orange. Sometimes, in my darkest moments, I think that maybe our friendship might not be worth the pain of losing it. The memory of Sam has become something new over the last few years. It's become a thing that lurks behind all the other things, 
It's back there, threatening, burying its teeth at me whenever I dare look at it. And the pain is stronger than I would have expected. The others, I think, have all been able to primarily hold on to the good. When Sam's name comes up, they still all seem happy to hear it. Sometimes I'm happy to hear it. Sometimes all I can manage is regret. It's like that same misty haze that hovers over the rest of this town. But sometimes, sometimes I see regret in their eyes too. Sometimes I see the signs that everything is not alright. Crown has retreated into his work, which was always the way things would go, I think. He hasn't become entirely distant, but he's different from how he used to be. And Lana... Sometimes I find Lana just standing, staring at the ocean. She never admits outright that it's because of Sam, but I always wonder. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon.